Recovery On Air, the official podcast of Crossroads Addiction Rehabilitation. Candid discussion about addiction and recovery with the people who have lived it, along with input from experts on the journey from struggle to triumph. Laugh, cry, and be inspired. And now, your host for Recovery On Air, Greg Halverson. All right, everybody, welcome to Recovery On Air, where we talk about all things recovery, the good, the bad, and the miracles. Uh, I am your host, Greg Halverson. Thank you for joining us again. And uh, and today, um, I'm, I'm excited to, to hear about what he has to uh, tell us in his story. Uh, our guest is Daniel Benuelos. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, I did. did. Good. There, see, I'm good getting job. my, I'm getting my, my, my uh, name pronunciations down. Yeah. Uh, welcome. Thank you for Thank being you, here, Greg. It's a blessing to be here. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's good. Um, you know, so a little, uh, a quick little thing about about Daniel was, um, I, uh, he was at one of the crossroads facilities, and when he was able to start going to some meetings, I saw him at a meeting. And he and he shared briefly, and and I and I looked at this guy, and I went, you know what? I want this guy to. He he looks like he's doing the deal, and I and I asked him to come and speak at the time to uh, to the clients at Crossroads East. Yeah. And I knew nothing about your story. I didn't know. I didn't know anything, right? I just thought, hey man, I got another banger here, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, coming in and getting better. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. And 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 that's what I was looking for. And you came in, and I was blown away. Um, so that's the extent of what I I know about your story. Um, is uh, is is what you told in that very brief thing. Uh, so so we'll get to that. We'll get to some of that stuff. But you blew some people away that night, and uh, you put a tear in my eye. And and uh, you really, it's one of those things where. The person, the people listening, I know, not just myself. There were other people who kind of went, "Oh, holy, holy cow, man! Yeah. <laughs> really, I didn't have it that bad." Yeah. Um, but thank you for being here. So let's start off, California. Yeah, I'm born California. and raised. Yes, sir. Born where at? So I grew up in Southern California primarily. I lived okay. all over California. So okay. recently, I was in the desert area by Palm Springs. Yeah. Before I came out to treatment. But I grew up in L.A. I was in L.A., San Gabriel Valley, Riverside, San Bernardino County. So I moved around a lot right. growing up. What was that? I mean, was it just family? Just was moving it just... from parent to parent, okay. uh, other family members, and then, of course, on my own, just not being able to hold down a residence for too long and having yeah. to relocate, you know, <laughs> in and out of prison, yeah. you know, trying to start off new somewhere else in another county or whatever, and it just always ended so up the in, same. So in California, they still have the three strikes, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm a two-striker. Uh, oh, okay. That's, so well, there you go. I'm, you knew I'm what I was going to ask you. I'm more than willing to stick around here for a while. Like, I did not want to go back to Cali. <laughs> so um, what, 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 what was it? You, I mean, when you got going on getting loaded, uh, young? Yeah, real young. Real young. Really young. Like? So I was about... 10? 12, maybe, okay. I want to say, 12 years old, the first time I smoked weed with my sister. I caught her. She, she, I was waiting for her to take me outside to go to the pool in the summertime. Cause, and, you know, in those apartments, you needed to have an right. adult supervisor sure. while you're swimming. So 
she was taking a long time in the bathroom and I was banging <laughs> on the door. Finally got fed up. I opened the door and she was in there smoking a doobie, right? Yeah. She's smoking a joint. And I could smell the weed. And I already knew that they smoked weed. I'd always smelled it. You yeah. know, going in the restroom after them, I'd find the books with the sticks and seeds in there because they were rolling. <laughs> and uh, I shut the door and she goes, she goes, wait, wait, come back in, come back in. And I opened the door and she goes, I'll let you smoke with me if you don't tell on me. Right? She right. didn't want me to tell her mom. Right. So I was stoked. I was like, all right. Sure. She goes, come in here, sit down. Moving in. How, yeah. how, how much older was she than you? So she's five years older okay. than me. Okay. So you're you're moving up, right? Yeah, yeah. Playing with the big kids. She let, yeah, she let me smoke with her. She told me how to do it, inhale and all that. Hold it in. I was choking. And I got so high, man. And I loved it. It was like the best thing ever. You know what I mean? As a kid, yeah. I went to the pool, was swimming. I was so stoned. Like, I don't know what I was doing. I'm lucky I didn't drown. But right. it was a great time. And after that, it just became a thing, you know? Yeah. And that was... it. it it enticed me to continue to pursue it more. It it brought up that phenomenon of craving yeah, yeah. that I didn't know about at yeah. the time, but it stuck with me for many years. Well, it alters yeah. your it alters your being and your feeling, and all of a sudden yeah. everything's okay. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Big pothead early on, then got into the drinking. Yep. And of course, we knew about cocaine and meth and all that stuff. And back then, people weren't really smoking meth as much they were like snorting it yep. or shooting it yeah and um it was real powerful stuff that old biker dope back oh, in the yeah. 90s and me and my friends we used to just like pretend we had some and we'd get like the sugar packs <laughs> and we'd go to the bathroom like in a like in a by the pool area the public bathroom yeah. and we'd put little lines on the toilet you know, and then we take turns going in there and starting. We try to act like adults. You that's know what I that's mean? funny, but it's not. It's not right. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous, yeah, it is. right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. but you, you're not the first. Yeah. I remember yeah. now. You're a different generation than I am, but I remember hearing people talking about getting those um, pixie sticks, yeah, and dumping those out yeah. and acting like yeah, you know, oh yeah, yeah, hey look, you know. Yeah. And so I mean. Same deal, yeah. different, you know, different. Yeah. Wanting to act like an adult. Oh, my goodness. Doing what the grown-ups did. Isn't and, that crazy? Yeah, but we eventually got our hands on some real stuff. Right. You know? But in the meantime, when we didn't, we would break into apartments that were vacant and empty out the refrigerant from the units, from the air conditioning right, units, right. fill up big, hefty bags of that stuff. And go huff it. And we'd huff that yeah. and just pass out, oh, yeah. hit our heads on the floor. <laughs> Get that and if bell we couldn't ringing. do that, we'd just tie pillowcases around our neck <laughs> and choke each other out to pass out just for a thrill. You wow. Know? We were just real thrill-seeking kids. Were, were you, uh, do you think that, I mean, I, I don't know, that's, that's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the stuff you do, you know, and then fight each other, you know, just anything to get a rush. Yeah. And just fight stupid each other. Shit. Yeah, yeah, just stupid. box a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, fist fight. Just all out fist fight. <laughs> and and that was that was part of the escape, you know, of the right. reality of my right. life and other kids too in, in that inner city and yep. in the impoverished part yeah. of town. Broken homes. Yeah, way yeah. broken. Yeah. Don't want to be around it anymore. Right. Well, I couldn't be at home really because my my mother, when I was living with her, I I couldn't have friends over, and I'd get run out of the house. It was back in those days when I was like, go outside. Like, you don't right. need to be in here. Go outside. Right. Go play, you know? Check in when it gets dark every half hour or whatever, or come yeah. in when the light, when the street lights come on and stuff like that. And so I just had to find 
some way to feel good about myself being sure. out in the street and out and about with sure. the kids. And um, it wasn't it wasn't easy, but I'm thankful for the experience because I learned a lot through that, and I am the man that I am today because of all of that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, if it if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't for hard lessons, right? Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't. There's a lot of things that we wouldn't know how to deal with when we do get our shit together. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, um, gang. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yes. I mean, if you moved around, no, it's kind of yes. hard to be in a gang if you're I, moving around and moving to different parts of town, unless they're right. all over. Right. So no, I did definitely get. Uh, hooked up with the street street yeah. gang and it kind of happened i think out of like just me being in survival mode living in a certain area around a certain group of kids they were older than me and they were all into it but i didn't know at the time because i was so young and impressionable i looked up to them and i thought these guys are really real thugs you know right like real gangsters right but later on i found out they were like kind of like the wannabe crowd <laughs> you know what i'm saying like you they, saw a movie they you played were, the part hey, minute, yeah man. no they Those played the, the part real well. yeah <laughs> they played the part real well for a 12 year old kid to right. have me convinced sure and it was very intimidating i was afraid of them i wasn't experienced in that lifestyle yet i had not really ever done any violent acts towards any other person i was always the one receiving the violence right because i was abused right. by my dad you sure know, real severely yep and even my older sister and stuff she'd beat me up and, and so i was always willing to take the beatings yeah but i didn't have the heart in me to or the the desire in me to want to hurt somebody else right um because i didn't like it being done to me so i just never thought to do it to somebody else and my mother told me i was always like that even as a small kid as a toddler like i'd cry if i see other kids arguing yeah you know i just didn't like conflict at right, all right I never did and so when these kids would would beat me up you know we'd get drunk or whatever or we'd get high and they just for whatever reasons they'd pick on me and they'd start punching on me and i would just take it yeah and then they and then they'd call me up punk bitch yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. i mean sure. like you sure. know and stuff like that and so those words hurt more because i really wanted them to accept me i wanted them to be my, right. my family that i didn't have you know i wanted yep. to get that bond with them and so when they would reject me after they hit me it really weighed heavy on me and so i remember one the last they're occasion probably pissed too because they they're looking for a they're looking for a fight back they're looking yeah, for some yelling they're yeah. looking for an argument they're looking for something right you're you're just you, yeah. you just sit there and take it yeah and in that you know, culture it was them, like that like you're not giving them what they want yeah they'd see. hit you more if you didn't fight back right. it was more upsetting to them to see that so i had to learn the hard way and i remember on the last occasion these kids just went to my house. I was in there with my mom watching TV. They knocked on the door. I opened the door, stepped outside. The guy just started punching me. And I just stood there, you know. And then when they all walked away, the other guys just looked at me and they, like, shook their heads like, man, I can't believe it, you know. Right. Just that disappointment. Yeah. And that affected me. That's what I just, I decided, like, I can't allow this to continue anymore because I'm losing everything that that i had like that was my life that was my world is these kids on the on the street because my home life wasn't really right. anything right my mother worked like, a lot i wasn't like i said i was not have friends or i wasn't allowed to be at home during the day she would lock me out while she was at work so i had to stay out until she got home and then by then too i just didn't want to go home so i had to figure out a way to be out there with them and so that night i remember i made a a deliberate decisive choice like i really committed myself to to do whatever i had to do to be accepted by them and right. gain the respect so right. i went back out 
and I confronted the guy. Um, I didn't win that fight, but I did gain respect. I gained a lot of respect. Right. And I knew that if sure. I just was willing to do whatever I had to do to express that kind of violence mm-hmm. or that anger, you know, that they would appreciate it and, and give me that acknowledgement. Well, you're looking for a replacement family. And, yeah. And so and, I thrived uh, on that. Yeah. And I advanced quickly because I just kept doing it, right. kept doing it and more and more and worse things. Sure. And then when I finally met other guys that were really serious, like about that kind of stuff, um, I surpassed those first kids. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. No more wannabes. Yeah. And so <laughs> I kind of like outdid them and then they became intimidated of me and right. I fed off of that. Like that was a thrill in itself. Sure. Is that I had like went past beyond the point of what they had achieved in in their little right. you know activities, right. and now I gained not just their respect but even their fear. Sure. And so I I just needed that. I needed to feel powerful because I was so weak at that time in my life, and deep down inside I was just so frail, you know, and fragile. Well, and, 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 and that goes along with, with what I've heard from a, a lot of people, and myself included, and that is somewhere along the lines, it's not necessarily getting loaded. It's the lifestyle. Yeah, yeah for sure. Right? It's for the sure. danger that comes along with yeah. it. We're putting ourselves in risky positions yeah. that we would never do otherwise, yeah. right? I mean, in what, you know, air quotes, normal, uh, somebody is, is a, a life somebody is living the most dangerous thing they do is, you know, get in rush hour traffic. <laughs> you know and what I mean? It is dangerous, you especially know, in Arizona. I know it is. I know it is. <laughs> but I mean, they're not, their lifestyle is stay away from that, right? Mm. They're, they're trying to, people are trying to survive yeah. Oh, yeah. rather than that, that, that rush and that feeling of, all right, you know, and, and, and feeding, like you said, feeding off of it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and getting that and getting pulled into that little vortex that we yeah. that we create. Now it now it's hey man, the drugs and alcohol are just part of that lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. I was totally addicted to the lifestyle. Yeah. More than anything. But yeah, the def definitely the drugs and the alcohol were a big part of it. Um, looking back now I know that I wouldn't have done a fraction of the things that I was doing if I was yeah. sober. Oh yeah. Like I, ha- I had to st- always be drunk or high on meth yep. or weed or something, just loaded so I could conduct that type of behavior, you know, and, and Well, do you're things. not yourself. Yeah. I had no, no regard for human life, not even my own. Right. Um, no fear of consequences, no consideration of others at all whatsoever. I looked forward to going to prison. Um, I just idolized that whole culture and everything about it, and I and I accepted death and pr- in prison. Yep, all those things were factors that were just like that's just part of it, you know. And I considered myself like a warrior, you know, or something that like it was honorable right. to die in battle, right, right, or to go to prison and <laughs> right. continue the war in there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was just yeah. As a kid, I was very impressionable. Yeah, and I was totally seduced by that lifestyle, even though. You you die and go away, and two days later, yeah. nobody even yeah. speaks your name. I mean, that's the that's the crazy part about it. How many uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? So I have one brother, two sisters. Okay. Yeah, and one half sister actually. Okay, but I just didn't grow up with her. I don't really right. know her that well. 
And do they all know where you're at now and what you're doing? And so I do keep in touch with one of them, yeah. my sister. She's the one that actually pointed me in this direction. She's okay. a member of AA. Oh, okay. And she's been in recovery for about three and a half years, nice. going on four. And she's the one that gave me my first hit of weed. So right. <laughs> it's cool. It, it comes all around. You know, she redeemed herself yeah, with yeah. bringing me into the program. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do keep in touch with her. Good. She's very close to That's me, very awesome. dear to me. I love her very much. Shout out to Joanna. Yeah. There you uh, my go. other siblings, though, they're like doing their own thing, you know, and that's fine. Yeah. I love them from yep. a distance. Yeah. You know, and even sometimes there, there, there was for me before like resentment and animosity and stuff like that. But now I've let all that go. I've worked through the steps yep. and I'm okay with whatever's happened in the past. Yeah. But I also know that I need to set up boundaries. And if there's a, particular person or persons that i know i can't interact with you know on a healthy level like it's okay you can forgive people and you don't have to be friends oh yeah and so i love them from and and their family i mean you know they're gonna do their thing they're gonna do their thing yeah yeah so okay so you got to a certain point um left home early Oh, yeah. I stopped living with my mother early on, like by the time I was 13. And at, and at that time, I was wow. already getting arrested. And um, I was a like a habitual runaway. I remember one sure. summer, I looked at my record one time because I, I was in court and they gave me my transcripts of all my record. And I had like <laughs> 35 reported runaways in, right. in a few months. Like, sure. I was just constantly not coming home and she'd just report me. And So I'd get arrested. I'd get arrested for curfew violations, probation violations, petty theft. Stuff like that, like always in and out of juvenile institutions. Yep. I ran through the gauntlet of that stuff, went to the boot camp, and then the placement and the boys' homes and all that stuff. And I, it just made me worse because being around a bunch of kids like that, like you're not going to really get rehabilitated, you know? Yeah. It's just more of like gladiator school type stuff. Sure. And just you just could, learn more. Yeah. You learn it, more survival. Yeah. And you get more committed to your gang because. Right. That's where you have to represent, you know, right. who you are, where you're from, and all that stuff. And youngsters, man, you know, especially boys, teenage boys, like they're always challenging each other. Oh, yeah. And that's the name of the game. And so yeah, all it did was just help me develop more into that kind of persona that yep. I adapted. Yeah. And very quickly, I ended up facing some serious charges. Um, Luckily, I didn't get killed by the police for this, but yeah. there was a manhunt for me for about a week um, for attempted murder on a police officer. I was drunk, walking home from a party, um, blacked out drunk. Right. Always had a gun on me. And police officer pulled up. According to his report, I pulled out my gun, pointed it at his head, pulled the trigger, it misfired, and I cussed him out and threw it at him. <laughs> And ran. Oh, man. And I got away. Holy and I just cow. remember, I remember waking up. Thank on, you, Lord. Well, no, I, it was so weird, <laughs> for right? Misfire. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Thank God for that. Not, I, not cleaning your gun on a regular basis <laughs> right. or something. I mean, holy right. shit. So I woke up underneath this abandoned house and I didn't know why I was there. Right. And it was like noon. And this happened like at six in the morning. Yeah. So I was passed out for a while, and I woke up, and I was just like, what the hell am I doing under this house? And I, could, I didn't have my gun. I was like, oh, shit. So I remember I went back home to the guy's house where I was staying at with a buddy, 
And all the neighbors come on. They're like, what are you doing here? They're looking at me like if I was a ghost. Yeah, yeah, like, go what are you away. doing here? The SWAT team was yeah. here. Like, there's cops looking for you. Like, they said you tried to kill a cop. Like, you need to get the fuck out of here. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I took off, and I was on the run for a little while. You know, my buddies were hiding me out in hotels, yeah. and I was moving around. And the cops were just, like, livid, you know. They oh, had pictures and posters. And yep. News reports and just they wanted to kill me. They were like, they try, he tried to take one of us. We're yep. gonna get him because I was a, already a documented, well-known right. street thug with a record already. Um, and so there was gonna be no mercy for me. They were gonna shoot first and sure, find out if I was still you. armed yeah, later. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that was that was one of many miracles in my life, and I ended up facing twenty five years to life. I turned myself in, um, and was facing 25 years of life being tried as an adult. I was 16 years old in a maximum security juvenile institution and going to court with men uh, chained up on, like, walk alone, yep. like Hannibal oh, yeah. Lecter style, oh, yeah, you know? Cause, yeah, yeah, I did. Because I was a kid. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was a kid, so they couldn't put me with the men in the bullpen, but right. they had to take me to adult court. Right. So, And that just inflated my ego. Of course. I just felt even more powerful. 16-year-old. Yeah, formidable. Big I was dogs. Like, yeah, these guys know who I am now, right? <laughs> and that was my whole trip. Like, my dream was just to be well-known, to be respected. Yeah. And that did it, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Know? And when I went to, I ended up taking a plea deal. And because I was so young and the, the gun didn't fire, and the only damage to the officer was pretty much his pride. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had a gun thrown yeah. at me by a 16 And it was strange seeing him because I was this little kid. I was about 90 pounds. Right. Right. 16 years old. Still hadn't even gone through puberty. Right. Because I didn't go to that until I was actually in prison. <laughs> but this guy's like 6'2", 240 pounds, sure. solid muscle, full uniform, yeah. weapon on his hip and everything. And he's yeah. standing there at my sentencing and he's crying tears talking about how he was in such fear for his life. Right. And all he could think about was, was his family, right. his daughter at home, and how a, a scumbag like me was yep. so quick to just take his life or try to. Well, imagine how traumatic and that would be. Yeah. It, just, it was just weird to me. And as a kid, I just I thought it was funny because I was like, come on, dude. Like, right. Look at how big you are and how much right. stronger. And you're just this guy. You're, not, you're this big guy, and I'm this little kid. And like you're sitting up there crying. you know. But now I get it. Yep. Now I get it because the fear probably was real. Oh, and, for sure. And I think about it now, and I'm like, man, if something were to happen to me like that, I would be, I would be probably pretty much afraid too, like right. that. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, coming from a kid too, a kid that doesn't know what he's doing, doesn't care. And that was me. You know, I was that kid. Just was just really, really volatile. And the judge showed this, me mercy. Was this in L.A.? No, this happened in San Bernardino. Okay, okay. So the judge showed me leniency, and I only got four years for that, for assault with a firearm on a police officer, and I went straight to prison, straight to Chino. Right. First month in there, I went to the hole for manufacturing weapons, <laughs> right? So I got a, I got a— You might as well start. Yeah, yeah. I got a good introduction Let's keep the role going. right away. Yeah. Let's keep the role going. Yeah. Well, there was no reason for me at that time to really go any other direction. Right. You know, for me, sure. it wasn't even a thought. Like, it would have been absurd for me to consider, like, oh, I need to change now. Like, no, I was, like, barely getting it going. Right, you know? right, right. And I was hungry. I wanted more yeah. of that, more of that recognition. And so I just strived for it, and I did. I did obtain it to a certain degree. Um, but as I got older, in and out of the prison system, I ended up going back to prison three more times. Yeah. Over the years, I've gotten... 
15 years of prison time in California. That's that's apart from the juvenile time that I did. So I'm very familiar with, I'm very familiar with the system in California and all the ways that it operates and yep. how the inmates conduct their own world within oh, the yeah. world oh, you yeah. know, and how it relates to yeah. the street stuff and all that. And at some point, I just really started to re- regret and reconsider like what I was doing because by then I had a wife, I had kids, and I didn't want that for them. And I felt really guilty. I did a six-year term, and I left her and left the kids, and she was on drugs, and kids got taken away, and man, I was I was messed up. And so I just voluntarily like stepped away from all that and stayed there among them and just told them like, I just don't want to be a part of it anymore. Right. And I had enough respect and credibility to be left alone. Yep. They didn't ask anything more of me, and they let me do my thing. And so I picked up a Bible, went to church, Man. did the Bible study thing, did the Bible college thing. Yeah. I was really, really into it. You know, I was very committed to, and I thought I was going to become a pastor. I was in seminary for three years. Okay. So I studied the Bible thoroughly. I went through it front to back at least seven times. I know the Bible real well, and I got really into the religion and all that. And I wanted God to restore my family and give me all that stuff back. And so I was dry for all that time. I got out, and she was still on drugs. She wanted to go to rehab. She ended up going to a Christian women's home. I took her back. I had my son. I had our sons at the time. And when she came back, she just wasn't the same. Like, she just didn't love me, and I knew it. And that started to eat away at me. The resentment, yep. the resentment yep. came up, and I hated. Well, her think for about it. the shape both of you were in yeah. when you oh, when yeah. this happened. Yeah, right. I mean, how do we even get into those relationships yeah. when 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 both parties are yeah. are, yeah. are using getting loaded? Yeah, and that's and they're, how they're not real. They're, right. That's not right. being real people. Those are not their real personality. Yeah, and then and and we see it all the time in this in the business we're in. People get sober. I've, I watched one of the first times I ever got sober. My roommate in a sober house was this guy. He had a wife. He had two little daughters. They were all the love of his life. But when he got sober, they wanted to know where daddy went, you yeah. know, because this whole time he'd been acting differently. You know, he, he basically was bribing them all the time. He was always buying them gifts, always doing whatever he could to keep them from you know in case they found out that he was a heroin user yeah and then all of a sudden he got sober and he went well i gotta start saving my money and i got you know he was being responsible about it and they went what wait hold on yeah. where's the guy that we knew right right yeah, yeah. yeah and we met early on so we were kids when we met and we were all in that lifestyle together so I guess the the problem was that I just had expectations, and because we had known each other for so long, we were with, with each other for so long. I mean, we had about 20 years' experience together. Right. You know, and we're married for 10 years. And Loaded so, the whole time? No. I mean, no. I mean, I was always smoking weed and drinking, sure. no matter what. But okay. the meth, we had both stopped using meth for about 10 years. Well, but still. And then we relapsed together on you know, that. And still that's utilizing when, yeah. some substances oh, yeah, sure. throughout that, straight that, alcoholics. that don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we yeah. were straight alcoholics. We just didn't want to identify with Right, right. And, of course, life was unmanageable. Yeah. And it just, it, everything broke down. And 
when I did that whole religion thing and thought she was going to come back to me, like I got what I asked for, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And my expectations were premeditated resentments because I hated her for it when she didn't love me the way I expected. Right. And so I had to leave before it got abusive because I felt like abusing her. I felt like beating her ass, you know, like I just did. I'm not going to lie to you. It was just, I was so upset that she would be so cold and rude to me when I was doing so much to How sacrifice myself for her. Don't yeah. you see what I'm doing yeah, here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that part. So I left, and unfortunately, the boys decided to stay with her. And I would still come around and visit them and spend time with them. And she'd have problems with them, and she'd want me to discipline them. I'm like, I'm not going to spend my time with them. Right. Disciplining them. Right. Because when I would discipline them. You'd be the bad guy. Yeah. I was like, when I would discipline them, you'd take their side. And now that's why they don't listen to you. Like, (laughs) you wanted to be their friend. Yeah. You know, deal with it. Yep, yep, yep. So, but but the good thing is my boys are okay. They're healthy. We have had some problems recently. My my son, who's 17, was taken away from her last year. Um, He's with other family members now. He's doing good. The relationship's pretty pretty rough between me and my boys think because they do side with their mom in a lot of ways. And I I can't do anything about that. I have to accept whatever, you know, they want. But I do offer myself and extend myself to them. They know that I love them. I hope they know that I love them. Um, Maybe it's just hard for them to trust that I'm really doing the deal right now. Sure. Because they're used to my past and how I've always been in and out and not present and on drugs and stuff like that. And so I'm willing to just do whatever I have to do, keep doing the next right thing. And when it's right, when it's God's time, you know, all that will get restored. I do have a relationship with my eldest daughter, Alyssa. She's 25. She just turned 25. She has a son. I have a grandson. He's seven. And I do stay in contact 25. with Dan. He, he looks 25. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here trying to Thanks. look at Dan going, good grief, yeah. son. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you to say your age, but I mean. I'm 41. You, you don't yeah. look that. You look thanks. maybe thirty. Yeah, I thanks. mean, so when you prison man, prison preserves you. <laughs> well, yeah, depends I didn't get no who, sunshine. Depends on who you talk to. Yeah, um, but uh, well, you know what? And, and sooner or later, you know, you keep doing what you're doing, and yeah, they get little whiffs here and there yeah. of of what you're doing and the way you're leading your life. I've watched people over and over and over. Um, I have a very good friend who. He wanted his daughter back in his life, mm-hmm. been staying sober, been working hard, been doing what he's supposed to be doing, and um, just wasn't going to happen, not with the relationship he had with his, his ex, right? Right, right? Until finally she became old enough to make her own decision. Yeah. And, went, yeah. and, and started, you know, sending him, you know, got his phone number. Anyways, all I'm saying is, it takes time. Yeah. Right? And sometimes sure. it's just that time of of seeing seeing their parent do the right thing. So keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um sure. You came to Crossroads Arcadia when? Last February. So of 20 2022. 2022. Yeah. Be, okay, beginning of the year. Um I want to hear about. I want to hear. I, you know, this, yeah. is, this is the this is the nut and bolt. Uh, this is the, this is the real deal. This about, what it all boiled down about to. what it boiled down to. Yeah. So you got kids. You got an ex. You've gotten yourself pulled away from that lifestyle. 
Yeah. Right? First yeah, in some ways, but in a lot in of ways. In some ways. Not. But you know. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't want to do the the violent aspect of it, but I definitely wanted to still do the drugs and right. alcohol. You sure. Know what I'm sure. <laughs> so sure. I try to I try to just coordinate it. You know the actor scenario? Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, now I'm not gonna be the action hero. Right, I'm right. just gonna be over here and be the drug guy, yeah. you know? And I'm just gonna be behind the scenes over here. Yeah. So and that doesn't work. Right? Yeah, it doesn't work. Doing, I'm, and I'm only doing it for me, so yeah. don't tell me I'm hurting anybody yeah. else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so this is when you ended up in, in Palm I've, Springs. Yeah. So, 27 years of denial and addiction, and me trying to just find my way and survival mode this and for survival mode that, and suppressing all this stuff and never really dealing with my issues. Finally, after working at a tattoo shop and just staying loaded and working and making good money and. Failed relationship after failed relationship, disconnect with my kids, um, feeling like people were letting me down, betraying me, all this stuff. Woe is me. Yep. Pity party for oh, Daniel. Yeah. You it's know. everybody else's fault. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> fault. I never got a fair <laughs> shot at life. You know, the judicial system failed me. Yep. My parents failed me. You know, my father abused me as a child. My mother neglected me. My siblings never set a good example for me. Did the you, streets took did me. Did you ever, up until this point, did you ever once try to get into a program to stay sober? Never. Okay. Just the religious. Okay. Just right. the religious okay. trip. And I was jaded about that too because after I studied the Bible so much, then I just I started to critique it. Like I started to study it in a whole different way because I don't know. I felt like I was just being misled, and I think a lot of it had to do with. The hypocrisy that I saw in the people that I believed in, you know, sure. it was always that. It was sure. always me looking to people yep. to fulfill that need that I had for that that love and that unconditional love and support. Yep. And then seeing that humans have these these flaws, you Wait, know, it what? was always like a letdown. <laughs> like, oh, forget this. Oh, this group doesn't do right. Oh, this group doesn't do right. Like, oh, these people are all hypocrites. All they're, these people are all doing it the wrong way. So I was way. just blaming everybody else for yeah. why I was unhappy and unable to fit in right. anywhere. And, of course, the drugs and alcohol were always my best friend. Right. They're always there to make things better. You know, I get that sense of immediate relief and comfort, you know. Yeah, never let so, you down. But eventually, eventually... Even the drugs and alcohol didn't do it. Um, I was drinking Jim Beam. I was up for a couple of days on meth because I'd love to mix, you know, meth and alcohol, yep. marijuana and all that stuff. I love all drugs, but primarily alcohol and meth because I can drink for a long time. Like yeah. That oh, yeah. And not get too wired. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do. But I, but I lost <laughs> it, man. Yeah, I lost it, dude. Like, I just, I went from feeling really, really good. Because I was spending time with my son, and I was proud of him, and my 19, well, he's 20 now. And and he's had a job, he has a job, and he's, you know, being responsible, and I was so proud. And he's like, Dad, I got to go. I got to go to work tomorrow. So he left. And when he left, I was just so depressed. This dark cloud came over me, and I just, I didn't want to live anymore. Right. You know, I didn't want to live anymore. I loathed myself. Yep. I was full of shame and guilt, remorse, pain undealt with trauma issues and all that stuff and just everything from the past like all the the demons from from my past and my life were just there just hounding me yep and i thought the best thing to do and it was a spontaneous impulsive thought that turned into an immediate action i pulled my knife out of my pocket yep and stabbed myself in the neck yeah 
locked myself in the bathroom. And I stood there in front of the mirror just stabbing myself in the neck. And I was trying to get that main artery. Yep. And I thought I hit it because it was like squirting out sure. onto the mirror. Sure. Just I was drenched in blood. It was just leaking. And then I cut my wrists up here this way um, to cut that vein. And then I cut this other vein. And I had, I I remembered I had my bottle of lisinopril, high blood pressure. Right, med, right. And those were 30 milligram pills. And I took about 30 of them, chewed them up, swallowed them, stood there just bleeding. And uh, it was surreal, man. Yeah. Because I was looking at myself, but it was like I was looking at somebody else. Right. You know? Yep. Just standing there, just watching myself bleed. And I woke up after surgery, right? So I ended up in the hospital. Don't know how you I, got there? Or? No. Okay. And I ended up in the hospital, and I woke up after surgery, and I was mad because I was still alive. They had just wheeled me out of the surgical room, and I was in that hallway. And I came to, and I looked, and I saw all this stuff hooked up to me, and... I just didn't want nothing to do with it. Right. I pulled all that, the IV and yeah. the catheter came out. Don't, don't I thought, they know what I was trying to do? Yeah, don't ever try to take out a catheter on your own. <laughs> oh, no. Please don't. That no. was painful. Oh, yeah. But I didn't care. You know, I just wanted to get off the gurney, yep. back in that surgical room, and the only thing I could think of, I'm going to find a scalpel, Yeah. and I'm going to get this done this time. Yeah. Went in there, was just looking less like desperate, just like, the desperation I had was yep. like I knew they were gonna try to stop me because they saw me when I went back in there. Didn't and they know were like, it was Sir, a gift at that time, did you? No, not at all. No, and I didn't want it. Right. I didn't want it. I was pissed. I was legitimately furious that I wasn't dead. Yeah. I went in there and I couldn't find a scalpel. They had put all their instruments away, but they did leave out this big syringe, like one of those yeah, yeah. super yeah, sized yeah. ones, right? Yeah. And it was filled up with some type of liquid. I don't know what it was. Um, but I grabbed that syringe and I held it up to scare off the nurses and the doctors or whatever. Yeah. They were trying to stop me. And I held it up and they stopped and I just plunged it in my chest, like just hit myself right in the heart with it. But I was in such a hurry and I was so desperate that I didn't think to take the cap off. <laughs> so it just bent. It's and that stuck. safety yeah, cap, yeah. it worked. It served yeah. its purpose, dude. And I looked at oh, it like, man. no, it was like, I felt what, like such gift, a failure, Another bro. gift. Another, another yeah, I didn't that. see it. I was just like, man, I can't get shit right here. <laughs> you know, and they sedated me, of course, gave me some Ativan or whatever, yeah, put yeah. me out. And yep. I woke up in another hospital, another location, and... Tied down or? Yeah, well, yeah, no, I wasn't but, tied down, but I had somebody there with me 24 right, hours. I stayed right, there for right. 10 days healing up. The surgeon came in and checked on me, and she told me that I barely, barely missed that artery in yep. my neck. Like, just barely. Yep. And uh, I started thinking, you know, because I talked to my son after that, and he was crying and saying, Dad, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have left you. And that hit because I was like, man, it's not his fault. Right. And if I would have died, my son would have carried that with him. Yep. Yeah. And that's not right. Like, that is fucked up. Right. And I was just so selfish and not considering others. 
And even though it was because of my pain and sorrow and all that stuff, like it still doesn't justify like doing something like that would have sure. left so much wreckage behind. Yeah. And I know what it's like to be in that dark place. But if I ever could like <clears throat> share with somebody or talk to somebody who's thinking that way about hurting themselves, yeah. something like that, like I would, I would hope that they understand that it's not fair to the people that love you, that really care about you. And it's not fair to you either, right? right? To of cut course, yourself short. Of course, short. when you're in that mode, though, you're, you're not, that's not the way yeah. you're thinking. That's right. not the way not the brain is operating. You're, no. you're coming from a completely the opposite yeah. way going, listen, if I'm just yeah. not here, it's going to be better for mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. It's going to be better for everybody, no matter what. Yeah. That makes sense at the time most people are going to um, commit suicide, yeah. overdose, whatever. That's just that's yeah. what the brain says. You and know? it's it's a lie. Yeah. It's another lie. Sure. That we tell ourselves. Well, it's an evil lie created by yeah. that that place that we're in at that point in time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I talked to my sister and she she suggested that I get into treatment and we have a cousin that's out here that works at Crossroads, Selena and her husband, Lee. And I hadn't seen Selena in like 20 years, and I didn't even know her her story that she had been through it and right. had her own issues and yep. stuff. And so my sister recommended that to me. It sounded good, and I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I should, you know, check it out. And so I came out here just – I just I just wanted to take a chance and just see, see what would happen, right? And – Came out here to Crossroads, checked in, went to Arcadia. About a week into it, though, man, I just started just feeling that anxiety and that self-loathing and all that dark cloud came over me again, and I just wanted to die. Yeah. You know, it was it was still, I was still very sick. Sure. You know, and I was It doesn't up. go away just because no. we made a decision to try to get better. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, you you still got the work yeah, ahead of you. I was probably still in psychosis. Man. Right. I don't know, but I, I took off. I well, I went to. The, I left the meeting. I went to the to the program to the assistant program coordinator, and I told him, "Man, give me my stuff. I want to leave. Give me my phone. I'm out of here." He's like, "Why?" And he asked me a good question. He's like, "Why? Where, where are you going? What are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going to go find some blues and go die somewhere. Right. Man. Just give sure. me my shit." Yeah. He was like, I can't let you leave now, dude. You got a plan, and you came out here on a suicide attempt. Like, no, have a seat. Uh, <laughs> so he called Crisis, and uh, we talked. And just the time that we spent talking, you know, I was calling. Uh, he doesn't work with Crossroads anymore, right. but he was a good guy, man. Yeah. He's yeah. still a friend of mine yeah. in the program. And I love this dude, man, because he really related to me in a lot of ways. He had yeah. been through a lot of the same stuff, yep. the prison, the gangs and all that and he knew where i was coming from and he was able to do that peer support right yeah and i felt better i felt so good i was like oh I, can i go back to my room he's like nah dude he's <laughs> not, like crisis not, it's not on yet, its way man. you gotta wait so i had to go to cbi for about a week man, sure. and that sucked <laughs> you know i don't want to talk give, bad about that place give you a new perspective but i had that experience and i would not want that to happen anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, it beats the alternatives, right? Yeah, it was bad, dude. Cheese sandwiches, sitting on a plastic recliner for two days before you get a bed. <laughs> like, sandwiches. Yeah, I just didn't want nothing to do with it. And Lee was my sponsor at the time, and he told me, like, dude, just thug it out. Yeah. And even when I was there, like, I was still tripping, you know? I was still thinking people that worked there were against me and wanted to kill me. 
Like I was just out of it, you know. Sure. And I do know it took me a long time to come back down to yeah, planet Earth. The paranoia, the anxiety, and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, but I stuck it out. Went back to Arcadia. Got in the book. You know, Lee showed up for me. Worked worked through the steps with me, and it <clears throat> it just changed everything. Changed my life. And I do believe in God. I have a good relationship with God, as I understand Him. Yep. Apart from the religious trip. Which is a little different it's these very days different. than it was. Yeah, yeah, totally different. <laughs> you don't feel like rewriting the Bible? Yeah, no. <laughs> no. But um, things have been just getting exponentially better for me, Greg. Yep, I know. I've you watched know, it. Since we I met, like it. you invited me to go speak at East, and yep. that was tremendous because that was like the first time anyone had had asked me to do that. And I was like stoked about it, you know. And ever since then, I've had opportunities to do that, work with guys in the program, sponsoring yeah. them, and working through the steps with other people, and seeing how they continue and do well. And they start working with Crossroads or in other places, doing things and getting their own sponsees and stuff like that. And it's only been a year, bro. Like I, know. I just got my year chip in February. I know. And I'm amazed. Like I have a car. I've got a good job. Right now, I just got, a, got a really... got a nice car, too, by the way. Yeah, thanks. I just got a good position <laughs> in Crossroads. And which is... And how I, many jobs have you held now? So I started off volunteering right. in residential. Yep. Then I got hired on as a staff member yep. on site doing uh, residential yep. management, right? Then I went to detox. Yep. Did that for a while, for about five or six months. Now I'm getting to do this other stuff that's more like outpatient, helping people transition back into the community, helping them with resources, yeah. doing visits with them out in yeah. the community, field work, taking them to their appointments, doing stuff to really help them out. And CECOM helped me. Like, that's how I got my birth certificate from out of state. That's right. how I got my ID. That's how I was able to get so much relief because I was stressed out. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was like, I don't even have an idea out here. How am I going to get a job? How am I going to get to go to a sober living without a job? You're a legit how am I gonna citizen survive? now. Yeah, dude, I got my license. I've, you know, I got a nice single room at a sober house with a bunch of, a group of good guys. Yeah. You know, Oxford House is dope, bro. Yeah. I love Oxford House because they hold each other accountable. Yep. There is no grand mucky muck. There is no politics. Yep. Everybody gets the drama. Yeah, yeah. It's, everybody votes for stuff. Sure. And we all work a strong program. There's no tolerance for relapse. No tolerance. For, yeah. Yeah, I'm vegetarian. <laughs> so, yeah, but I cook, man. Um, it's nice, bro, to live in a nice big house with a bunch of guys that are serious about the program. I get up and go to work, not feeling like I have this burden of a job, but something right. that I love to do. Right. Helping people and getting paid for, for it, right? Learning new things. I just got thunk. certified as a bilingual interpreter. Yep. And it's through the company. They helped me do that. Yeah. And I just feel it's like amazing. I'm so valuable today. You are. And I went from feeling worthless, like completely worthless, that I despised my existence. And now I feel like I have a purpose. Now I feel like I'm onto something. Like maybe this is what God had in mind the whole time. Huh, and think? I just didn't even know it, right? You, you like, think? <laughs> you think? Yeah, and it's great. It's beautiful, Greg, because I, like, I believe in this, not just because I'm experiencing it, because I see it over and over again. Every right. time I go to work, I see people like you yeah. that have made it and continue to do the thing, and they're doing the deal. And it's like, it's not just for me. It's for anybody and everybody that wants it. Right. 
And there's always examples that can inspire you. Like that's how I got inspired by people like Colin and you and other yep. people that show up to the meetings that let let people know. Like, look, I've been there. I know what it's like. This is where, I, where I'm at now, and this is what has happened in my life now. And it's like that's what you need. You need that evidence. You know that sure that empirical. Well, factual, visual evidence. Al- alcoholics and addicts need tangible. They mm-hmm. you, you can't just tell them something and expect them to believe it yeah. to come true. They need they need that. I can t- wow. This dude here standing here in front of me, all tatted up, wearing yeah. a sober music company hat. Yeah. Come on, man. Oh yeah, shout out to Jay Dow. Yeah, shout out, to love old, that old guy, Jay Dow. <laughs> you are doing amazing things, and you're one of those guys that I love pointing to. When other people are questioning the program or maybe their ability to get into it and to actually succeed. You don't know, dude. If you yeah. knew my story and I'd go, listen, yeah. I know a lot of other people with probably way worse stories than or experiences, not just stories. It's their experience. It's their journey. And you have done something that, makes makes what look what i did nothing i mean come on um yeah. what what you have come back from and and walk around with a smile on your face is awesome and yeah. i know that you will you you're that guy that will go on and talk to people about this and go on and on and on and on until they tell you to stop yeah right yeah for sure that's yeah. great keep doing what you're doing um yeah. because uh somewhere along the lines you're inspiring other people I hope so. You're an inspiration. It you feels are. great. You Thank are. you, Greg. It's awesome. So um, you're now a certified interpreter. You're on to a new phase of what you're doing with, with Crossroads. And and I guarantee you sooner or later, somewhere down the line, your family's going to come back and, and, and be okay with where you're at and what you're doing. I guarantee it. Yeah, um, I believe that. But I have a couple questions that okay. I ask everybody. Um, and, and the first one's kind of, you know, you're tatted up all over. And, yeah. uh, so the first one is, do you have a tattoo? And if so, and where, so I'm going to ask you a different question. <laughs> What's your, do you have any new tattoos like in sobriety since I've been out here? No, no. Okay. All right. No. So we'll let that one slide. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what? Actually I do. I have, Oh, what's that? Three, 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 which is. It's just my number. Like I, I always see that number, that sequence of numbers. Yeah, it's been years that I've been seeing it. And here's what's interesting about that, right? So, I've been seeing this pop up. Like I'll open my phone, it'll be three thirty three. I'll see a clock that is flashing because yeah. it got unplugged and plugged back in, and I'll just see it right when it's at three three three. It'll pop up on a screen. I'll see it when I'm driving around, or you know what I mean, like sure. all the time. I do. So. I go online and I'm on this dating thing on Facebook. Oh no! And I'm looking and then looking don't for Sally. Right? I was don't like, I was it. like seven months into recovery, so I was ready. Well, of course, you know what I mean. I was oh, ready. Oh yeah, you're all ready. <laughs> yeah, right. And I meet this this beautiful woman, and we go out, and we're hanging out, we're eating at this restaurant, and she sees my tattoo and she tells me she goes, "Oh, that's cool. I see that all the time too." Right and and then she sends me a picture the next day, and it's of a building with 333 on it, uh-huh. the address. And right. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Did you just see that? She's like, no, that's my building. And I'm like, wow. 
Huh. Right? So huh. she's my girlfriend now. Who says Facebook doesn't work? Yeah. She's my <laughs> girlfriend now, and I just, I love her. She has kids, and her kids are great. Huh. We're She's also in recovery. And okay. so, yeah, I'm really blessed, man. I'm blessed. Oh, I, I feel like I've got a full plate, and, and things are really going good now. So there's there's question one, tattoos. Okay, so you got one that means something. That come, Yeah. That's awesome. What is the proudest moment of your life? It's a tough one. I mean, it is. Because it lately is. I've got a lot of it good is. stuff. There's there's um, people and there's people that are that Yeah. So okay, so the proudest <laughs> moment in my life as of lately is probably When I get when I when I get um, acknowledged by others in recovery, who tell me that they see me doing well, and they're encouraged or inspired by me, right? Like that feels great. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. What's the most embarrassing thing you have ever said to someone? Most embarrassing thing I've ever said to someone. <laughs> Can I say that on here? Yeah. You can, well, I mean, that's your choice. You can say, Robin's over there going, oh, yeah, finally we get to the dirt, right? It's up to you. Uh, this is going to be, this will be out there for the world to know. Yeah. So that's your choice. Okay. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I mean, some yeah. of us have done some really ridiculous things. Yeah. So uh, this morning, um, it was a question asked, and it yeah, was, yeah. the guys were having yeah. a little chat. Yep. And it's, you know how guys are. We ask these really important, deep, yep. philosophical questions, yes. right? He asked me, um, if you could, would you give yourself oral sex? I said, <laughs> I said, actually, yeah, I probably would. In fact, I've tried it, and uh, my belly's just too big. I can't. I can't. Then this next question follow up was like, "Well, would you be receiving or giving?" And I said, "Wow, that's that oh, one stumped Lord me. I didn't Almighty. know. I think that might just be the most embarrassing question ever asked." Um, okay, well, that is a new. That's okay. That's a new level. Um, if you if you could disappear for two weeks, where would you go? I would love to go to Europe. Okay. And just travel Europe and see all those old buildings, those cathedrals, yep. and the old structures, you know, that have been around for thousands of years. Yeah. yeah awesome. That'd be nice. Uh, if you had one wish, what would it be? This is called dead air right now. All right. If like, I had one wish, what, it would know? be <laughs> to <laughs> elimin eliminate all... Addiction problems. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wipe, just wipe that out. Yeah. Well, I am, uh, I'm glad you took care of yours so far up to this point. Yeah. Um, One day at a time. A, it's been a, it's been a real blessing knowing you. Um, I'm glad that I saw you in that meeting that one day and got you over there to, to, to do what you did. Um, there are certain people in 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 this program that 
we get to see and we get to meet. And uh, I think I think you're going to do some wonderful things on the way. Thanks. Coming de- coming down the road. Uh, thank you for coming here. Appreciate you taking the time out. I know you had to. You kind of beg off since you're still training, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. so you'll get back to them. Um, if anybody out there is is listening and uh, needs some help, uh, please go to www dot the crossroads inc dot org inc inc um and you can look up resources you can look up job opportunities you can look up where our locations are what our program consists of and also um what else the the uh do you know what the three numbers are for the suicide hotline i don't is it nine one one no <laughs> 988. It's 988. 988. That's good to know. Please, if you're up against it and you're thinking about harming yourself or killing yourself, get out there and uh, just get on your phone and dial 988. Talk to someone, please. Yeah. please. And uh, and Daniel, thanks again. Robin, thank you as usual for a wonderful show. And we thank will you, uh, we will uh, talk to you all the next time. Thanks for listening to Recovery On Air, the official podcast of Crossroads Addiction Rehabilitation with your host, Greg Halverson. Join us next time as we continue our candid discussions about addiction and recovery. Listen 24-7 anytime to this or any of our shows online at starworldwidenetworks.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.